we have to realize that most of our opinions um, do not exist because somebody has rationally examined all of the facts yeah. and then made a determination. We mostly make a determination and then find facts to support our opinion. And that opinion is based on our feelings about an issue and arguing with people will not change their feelings. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com. And this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, a CEO, a nonprofit director, a community leader, or just an incredible person who is trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact wherever you are. My guest this week is Sharon McMahon of Sharon Says So. Sharon is a former high school government and law teacher who earned her reputation as America's government teacher amidst the historic 2020 election proceedings for her viral efforts on Instagram to educate the general public on political misinformation. Through a simple mission to share nonpartisan information about democracy, Sharon has amassed hundreds of thousands of followers online, affectionately called the governors who look to her for truth and logic in a society plagued by bias and conspiracy. If there is any person in this world that fits the mantra of just an incredible person who's trying to make a positive impact, it would be Sharon McMahon. Now, if you have been living under a rock and you don't know who Sharon is, you are about to fall in love with her. She is at Sharon Says So on Instagram, and she just has the most generous, funny, incredible demeanor. She truly is somebody that I uh, just adore, and it was an honor to have her here on the show. You are going to love this conversation. We really talked about it all. We even uh, realized that we have uh, something in common that not a whole lot of people have in common. And uh, so we really ran the gamut. We talked about all the things you are going to absolutely adore this conversation. But before I get to my chat with Sharon, I want to thank our partner of the show. And that is Mama Suds. Are you ready to ditch the bleach forever, but you can't find a bleach alternative that actually works? You have got to try the extra strength oxygen powder by Mama Suds. It launched in July. I've been using it for the last couple of months and it is incredible. You know, here on the farm, we we get dirty, okay? I'm outside, I'm cutting the grass, I'm working in the garden, I'm playing with the chickens and the turkeys and the guineas and the ducks. And let's just say my clothes get muddy and stinky and sweaty and and the extra strength oxygen powder is a game changer. And of course, as usual, because Michelle, the head mama at Mama Suds, is basically a genius. So there are multiple uses for the product. So not only is it a laundry booster and stain remover, but it is a great scouring agent on any non-porous surface. So you can use it in your cleaning. Get you some. It's amazing. It's all plant-based products. So clean, so natural and effective. So go to mamasuds.com and use the discount code Molly and get an extra 15% off your order. Now on to my conversation with Sharon McMahon. I'm so excited to welcome Sharon McMahon to the show today. Sharon, thank you for being here. Yay. Thank you for having me. So happy to join you today. I know, and I'm so excited to meet you. You know, when you connect with those people on the internet and then you get to like actually have a conversation with them, you're just like, oh yeah, you're, you're like the same person behind uh, the Instagram. Um, <laughs> it's like, you're exactly the same ex- as I thought you would be. <laughs> yes. Um, and I don't want to say I'm like, you know, like an original Sharon, per- but like, I was like... <laughs> I was like with you back in like the summer of 2020. So Whoa. I'm just saying that is you do get you like, get some extra gold stars. I'm just that. saying I found you, you in like summer 2020. So you do. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, I've just uh, uh, followed your work for a long time. And um, I you know I dubbed myself also a governor. Um, love it. Uh, I was actually a political science minor in college just because I loved politics and government went to work for uh, after I graduated college, I worked for uh, Tim Kaine, who was governor of Virginia at the time. Oh, yeah. And uh, like I had this fellowship there. And then now I like am a podcaster and do nothing in politics and <laughs> do not share my political b- opinions online at all. So it's it's funny. But you know, I think there's like the part of me that still like loves it. And so yeah. uh, it's just something that I've really connected with you over. So nice. um, for those who do not know you, let's give us the Sharon 
Fashion 101. So who you are, what you do, and how you got to where you are today. Oh, that's so nice. Thanks for, thanks again for having me. So I currently uh, run an Instagram account and website called Sharon Says So. And I break down government, politics, current events in a nonpartisan approachable format. So my goal is to give you education so that you can make your own educated opinions and not uh, have a have a viewpoint shoved down your throat. It's really difficult to have an educated opinion if you have no education. Like <laughs> you can't make up an empty mind. Right. 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 So that's really the goal of my account. And we we have a quite a bit of fun as well. Lots I of am fun. not, I do not take myself seriously <laughs> whatsoever. Um, so you know, I didn't set out to do that. However, I, I did start out as a as a government and law teacher. And so I have spent most of my life interested in studying those topics, teaching about those topics. But I've also owned other businesses and been an entrepreneur for a very long time. So I've owned a couple of businesses unrelated to what I'm doing now. So that's fascinating. Um, and that's something that I don't think I even knew about you. So because, you know, I think we all just kind of know you as like America's government teacher. Um, so obviously, I want to get to that. But before that, I want to hear like, you know, what is your entrepreneurial background? Did you have the lemonade stand? Like, did you did you start like, were you a Girl Scout going door to door? Absolutely. I was the door to door sales queen as yeah. a child. And I even took my, I remember doing, you know, Girl Scout cookie sales and being like, what kind of opportunity is this? You know, seeing how easy it was for me to get people to give me their money when I just knocked on their door and was like, do you want to buy this? And so many people were excited to be like, yes. You know what I mean? It was not an, I just got this feeling that like people were excited when I came to their door. So when I was about 10, I rode my bike to the local drugstore, you know, like it wasn't even a chain. It was just a mom and pop drugstore that sold all, you know, a little bit of all the things. I bought some poster board and some contact paper and rode my, you know, like carried it on my bike back home <laughs> and cut up the poster board into strips and then watercolored little designs on the strips, covered them with contact paper. And then I went door to door selling them as bookmarks. Oh my goodness. And didn't tell my mom I was doing this. This was, you know, back in the day when your kids would just go outside and play and they'd come home at dinner time. Yeah. Right. Like yeah, there was no, did. yeah, there was no keeping eyeballs on your kids 24 seven when I was a child. <laughs> yeah. And so I, over the course of one weekend, I made $50. Oh yeah. You were low selling. Yes. A 10 year old with $50 that <laughs> were, they made themselves. I was, that was basically bathing in it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. What am I going to do with $50? And my mom was like, where did you get this money from? And I explained that I had gone door to door and she's like, when, <laughs> you know, <laughs> when did you go door to door? And I was like, while I was out riding my bike, I sold these bookmarks for, you know, two for a dollar. And it was, you know, when a 10 year old comes to your door and is trying to sell you something for $1, chances are good. You're going to buy something from them for $1. Oh yeah. You have some quarters in your purse. Almost everybody that answered the door bought bookmarks for me. I, I had to go back to the drugstore several times to get more supplies. <laughs> was I a talented painter? Absolutely not. <laughs> Well, we've, uh, anybody who follows you has seen your drawings. No, so. no. My, my art talent is next to none, uh, but that didn't matter. It was the fact that it was a small child coming to your door, right. a 10 year old child coming to your door. So I have a bunch of stories like that, but I have always been entrepreneurial. I had a paper route. I invented little things that I could do to make money. I did tons of babysitting, all that kind of stuff. So literally from the time I was a child, I have had sort of that innate desire to be entrepreneurial. Yeah. Man. And so once you, I mean, did you go like as you grew older and you went into college and you obviously studied uh, government and law in order to teach it? Um, <laughs> did you know you wanted to be a teacher? So were you kind of like, what was your career path? Were you teacher right out of school? Then you had to own some businesses. Was it kind of simultaneous? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I went to college to be a teacher. I, for a while, I thought I might want to go into the medical profession. And I had this moment sitting in a college class where it was literally the best way I can describe it is that like a beam of light opened and this, this knowledge descended on me that it was, it was like, you are meant to be a teacher. 
And it was, I very vividly remember that moment. And I felt like this incredible uh, moment of like, absolutely I am, you know, there was, there was no, um, the idea that I would go into being a physician. I still, still find that fascinating, but that was just like, that is not, that is not meant for me. Yeah. So I did become a teacher, became a teacher right out of college, taught for in multiple States for many years, and then started my own business as a side hustle simultaneous to being a high school teacher. Mm. Now, I think I remember at some point you mentioning that you taught in and around the DC area. Mm -hmm. Where did you teach? In Montgomery County, Maryland. Okay. So I grew Mm -hmm. up in Fairfax County, Virginia. Okay. I am not, I am not there now. I'm in North Carolina now, but, um, yeah. And so, and okay, ran, this is a complete digression, but somebody the (laughs) other day, uh, on your Instagram was talking about how they have street smarts (laughs) school smarts, and, um, and then somebody had mentioned like growing up in Northern Virginia, that they had street smarts. So I have always said that, that I have street (laughs) smarts because I grew up in Northern Virginia. And like, I didn't know that was a thing other people said. So (laughs) I just wanted to share that I'm not the only one that apparently has also thought that they have street smarts. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. The person on my account was like, um, I I didn't do well in school, but I have street smarts. And I was like, but you live in Utah. (laughs) And very good naturedly. I love her. I know. The idea that you would live in suburban Salt Lake City (laughs) your entire life and think that you have street smarts (laughs) was funny to me. I love her though. I know. It's hysterical. Hysterical. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, I I mean, I did, I did fine in school and I did really well in college, but I definitely like have always said, I'm like, no, I got street smarts. (laughs) I don't all these Fairfax County streets. These, these yeah. going hard, going on hard the on the county streets. The Fairfax County streets, but and now I live on a farm, so you know I'm definitely like you absolutely. know, you know, we going used all those street smarts. I'm using all those street smarts <laughs> with my uh, trying to outsmart these foxes. Um. <laughs> anyway, okay. So, uh, yeah. So you uh you went to school to become a teacher, and you know, and then you said you were running businesses simultaneously and and you just, what kinds of businesses did you run and, and what eventually sort of gradually led you to starting this Instagram account? My career path is bizarre. <laughs> there's I think, a, I think there's, many of us is, have that story. Yes. Yeah. That it's not a, it's not a straight line trajectory. You know, you hear some people who are like, and then I got my PhD in astrophysics and now I work for NASA. And you're like, absolutely. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, a lot of entrepreneurs do not have that straight line point A to point B. 100%. Journey, and I certainly do not. Um, so I, when I was still teaching, I had a young child. I got really into knitting. I had actually taken a knitting class when I was 12. And then after I got married, my husband had a job that he traveled a ton and we were not living near family. And I was bored a lot at home, living in a new place alone. And I was like, I should take up knitting again. (laughs) And so I did, I took up knitting again for fun. I developed a high level of proficiency at it. And then people started asking me like, can you knit something for a baby shower gift? I started doing custom knitting for people. And then I quickly realized that like, this is not profitable. (laughs) It takes so much time to make something that you're going to sell. Long story short, somebody asked me if I would be able to dye some yarn for the custom knitting item. She wanted a little sweater to go with her daughter's flower girl dress for her brother's wedding. And she could not find what this vision of what she had in her mind. She was like, maybe you could just dye the yarn to go with it. And then it would perfectly match the wedding. And I was like, I don't know how to do that. And I'm not very interested in doing that, but thanks anyway. And she kept kind of just needling me gently where she was like, yeah, but how about you just try? Like, why don't you just try, just try it. (laughs) And if it doesn't work out, just give it a try. If it doesn't work out, then we'll go to plan B, but just try, just try. You can do it. Just try it. You can do it. It's It's fine. fine. Just try it. And so I then began to research, how do you even dye yarn? 
I don't know. And I, the colors she wanted were like burgundy and brown and gold. And I finally, after a ton of experimentation, came up with a skein of yarn that I was like, I think this might be what you're looking for. And she was like, yes, that is it. And I knit her this little sweater for her daughter's flower girl dress. Well, I quickly realized that you could dye yarn much more profitably than you could knit things. And I, this was really before Etsy. Yeah. And I had a friend make me a simple website and I started selling hand-dyed yarn on my website. And I worked on these hand-dyed yarn projects, you know, around my school schedule, worked on them in the evenings, early in the mornings, on the weekends, et cetera. And I started getting wholesale requests. It continued to grow and grow. I eventually, you know, uh, got a studio outside of my home, hired employees, eventually grew my hand dyeing business into one of the largest hand dyeing studios in the world. Oh my goodness. And, and then eventually sold my yarn dyeing business to one of my employees. Oh my goodness. So while I was dyeing yarn and at the helm of this yarn business, which who saw that coming? I did tons of traveling, teaching, would travel all over the country and teach workshops and speaking events and things along those lines. And I realized how much you needed to have great patterns, knitting patterns to support your yarn. So I started taking pictures of all of these knitting projects, knitting patterns, and developed my photography skills. And when I outgrew one of my production facilities and moved into a new production facility, I installed at the front of the production facility, a photo studio that was clean, quiet, you know, white walls and wood floors and wasn't covered in fiber dust and dye and all that kind of stuff. And then I started having people ask me if I would take their picture and I developed a passion for photography. And after I sold my yarn business became a photographer and left the classroom, did photography, you know, full-time for a long time mentored people in the business realm of photography, you know, ran a bunch of, um, you know, mastermind groups and things like that related to the business of photography. And that leads me to Sharon says, (laughs) and naturally a yarn dying photographer would become a government teacher on the internet. That is absolutely obvious. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I love it. So COVID obviously changed a ton for the entire world. Yeah. And in March of 2020, we started experiencing shutdowns in my state. Um, my husband had stage five kidney failure and was on a transplant list. And so COVID was very, very uh, dangerous for him to get. And working in my photography studio became, it, it, first of all, it became one of those things that you really couldn't do because the uh, state regulations required people to wear masks indoors. Nobody wants their picture taken with a mask on, Mm -hmm. obviously. And also I had to keep my husband safe. And so I was forced to take time off from my very, very busy photography business. I shot over 400 sessions a year, Mm -hmm. very busy. And that gave me the runway to be able to spend a lot of time thinking about you know, um, examining, studying all the things that were happening in the world. I I had always done that, but this gave me a lot more time to do that. He had a kidney transplant in August of 2020. And in September, at the end of September of 2020, when things with the election were really starting to heat up, I started posting just these little five minute explainer videos about here's how the electoral college works. Here's how, you know, um, we got to this point, like, here's why this is in the constitution, et cetera. And the videos were very simple, easy to watch and nonpartisan. They were not pushing an agenda. And apparently there are not many places on the internet (laughs) where you can find that kind of content. If you're, you're going to a major news network, chances are good. You're going to get a certain viewpoint. You're going to get a bunch of guests telling you why the electoral college is terrible or why we need it. Versus just a really simple, easy to understand explanation of how it works. Right. So the rest, as they say, is history. (laughs) (laughs) It just became something that I discovered people were hungry for. Yeah. Information that was not um, shoving what they should think down their throat. Yeah. 
And that's one of the things that I obviously I've, I and, you know, the millions of other people who uh, just adore you, uh, you know, I think appreciate. And that was actually something I've wondered and, and would love to just sort of get your your thoughts on or just kind of share your perspective on is as you have grown and you have just created this space where you have people from literally all ends of the political spectrum following you and you hit a nerve that like you said that we just we need that and you know you talk all the time about the the bias of you know bias doesn't mean that they're lying it's just that these media outlets need to make money and all these kinds of things and but you know for you as a human being in America in 2021 who has <laughs> opinions how either hard or easy is it for you to really commit yourself to sharing many divisive, so to speak, I'm using air quotes for the listeners, divisive topics or hot topics in such a nonpartisan way? Like how difficult or easy is that for you? You know, that skill of not taking a position and providing fact-based information that skill is something I developed in the classroom. Yeah. And so I did that every day for a really long time. Yeah. That, that's to me is just being a government teacher. Mm. Um, most social studies teachers that I know have a, a desire to develop critical thinking in their students. And you can't help people develop critical thinking by telling them what to think. Yeah. They need to be able to examine a topic from more than one angle in order to think critically about it. Right. And so that to me is not hard anymore. It was difficult when I was a baby teacher. Yeah. Um, and I did get into an argument, a, a very ill, I've made a very poor choice to get into an argument <laughs> with a student once when I was a tiny teacher. Um, and that did not end well for me. And I realized that actually he Number one, did not change his mind by me arguing with him. Number mm. two, it only made him mad at me. It only ruined the relationship between us. Mm. Um, it made his parents mad at me, it made his parents uh, distrustful of me. And what he said in my mind was indefensible. It was something very, very, very inappropriate in my mind, what he said. And I didn't handle it the right way. I, it was right of me to address it, yeah. but I did not handle it in the correct manner it really ruined the relationship with him. And so I, I realized like that I cannot do that anymore. I cannot do that again, even though I know I was right. And that yeah. he should not have said that there's a way to go about things. Mm. And I had to learn what is the way to go about things. And this is borne out by many, many psychological studies that the more you argue with somebody about their opinions, the more deeply they begin to hold them. Mm -hmm. And it often has the opposite of the intended effect. It has the opposite effect where they, they believe it even more yep. when you're done arguing with them. So the way that you go about things matters hugely. Mm. Mm. You actually uh, just, I guess it was yesterday, we're talking about a conversation that you had with your daughter about music and mm -hmm. how it got you thinking about how musical tastes and, and uh, can be related to political opinions. Can you share that story? Because I just think it was <laughs> such a perfect example of how we communicate with people, especially people we love, like our children or our spouses and family members. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, so I asked her, have you ever listened to this band? And she was like, you, they're so generic. <laughs> and I was like, no, they're not. What are you talking about? They're not generic. And my daughter loves seventies music. She loves, you know, like Pink Floyd. She loves Queen. She loves Led Zeppelin. And so I was thinking in my mind, she would really love Greta Van Fleet because they said he sounds so much like the singer from Led Zeppelin. Yeah. And I was thinking like, dang, she would really like them. And she was like, they're so generic. And I was like, <laughs> that is ridiculous. What are you talking about? And she was like, have you ever listened to Oasis? And I was like, excuse me, Oasis? You know, like my, I think my, my mind, my, the, my voice got like higher and higher, like, oh, Aces is not generic. 
<laughs> you know, like in my uh, mind, that was the most ridiculous opinion. Like Oasis, good. Greta Van Fleet, bad. What? Yeah. And the bottom line is I had this realization that no amount of me trying to tell her why she should like this band and why her opinion about Oasis is wrong. Zero mm-hmm. percent of that moved the needle on her opinion on this band. Right. At no point did she think to herself, you know, I do like them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the same is true. Like think about food. We all have weird food things that we like where you're like, I just really love pickles and ice cream, whatever yeah. it is. And then when somebody else is like, why, why would you like that? It's disgusting. You at no point think to yourself, you know what? I don't like that anymore. Yeah. No, you don't. All, you also don't begin liking a food that other people tell you is delicious. Right. You, it's just most of our opinions are not based in rationality. Most of our opinions, the vast majority of our opinions, are based on emotions. Mm. And you cannot argue somebody out of an emotion. If that if that worked, people would not struggle with uh, mental health issues. If we could mm-hmm. just argue people out of the way they feel, yeah, the, it, the world would be a very different place. And so we we have to realize that most of our opinions um, do not exist because somebody has rationally examined all of the facts and then made a determination. We mostly make a determination and then find facts to support our opinion. And that opinion is based on our feelings about an issue and arguing with people will not change their feelings, especially in the comments section on the internet. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Never. It is not going. No, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. And I love that you talk all the time and I don't remember where the quote originated from, but just like facts don't care about your feelings. They just don't. Mm -hmm. And like, that's a hard pill for a lot of people to swallow Um, Mm -hmm. and has been a hard pill for people to swallow in the last 18 months is Mm -hmm. just facts don't care about your feelings. They just don't. You can like the facts. You can dislike the facts, but guess what? They are still facts. Mm-hmm. And I do not like so it. That allig- I do not like it that alligators eat baby gazelles Yeah, no. while their while their mothers stand on the shore of the river and watch their baby get <laughs> eaten. I do not like that fact at all. Uh-uh. No. And yet that fact does not require my approval to be a fact. Right. There you that's not the definition of fact is do I approve of it? Right. And we have I feel like many of us have gotten away from that. Mm. It, it, it's only a fact if we approve. And Ooh. that's just not how this is not how the world works. Yeah. I I do not like the fact that foxes want to eat my various and sundry fowl. Um, I don't like that fact, uh, No, but it is a fact. And (laughs) (laughs) why are you biologically hardwired to try to eat my pets? I know I'm very, I don't like it. I don't like that. I came out one morning to find many of my birds, uh, slaughtered (laughs) by an animal in the middle of the night. I don't like that fact, but guess what? It's called the circle of life. (laughs) 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 So I don't have to approve of it for it to be reality. Yeah. That's, that's so good. What has been difficult for you? Because I I know that, you know, I, like I said, I started following you, I think around the time, um, that your husband was having his, uh, transplant and, you know, obviously seeing the, the rapid growth and everything that we faced it, that like, there were a lot of things on my 20 and 2020 and 2021 bingo card that I did not, <laughs> did not expect. Um, there were a lot of things that, uh, you know, especially as you grew so rapidly, what was challenging about it? Um, because that, you know, as wonderful as it was and, and the beauty that you, you have used this community for, which we're going to get to in a minute, I know that ha- a lot of this had to have been really challenging for you. Can you kind of share some mm-hmm. of that? Mm-hmm. You know, some of the most difficult things about it are just managing my time and wanting to do all the things. Yeah. Um, wishing I had more power to do more things and change more things. <laughs> yeah. Um, wishing I had more money, wishing I had more, you know, just more arms. Yeah. Um, seeing how great the need is and wishing that there was more that I could do personally. So that's that honestly is one of the most challenging things for me is just feeling like, ah, oh, I'm that constant feeling of I'm not doing enough. Mm. Um, I I wrestle with that sometimes mm. that I'm just not doing 
doing enough. And sometimes other people have to bring me back to earth and be like, how would you do more? Right. You know what I mean? And, but to me, in my mind, it's just like, you're not doing enough. You're not changing enough. You're not fixing enough things. You're not raising enough money, reaching enough people, et cetera. Um, so that's my own personal issue. It's always challenging when people want to, um, send you hate messages. That's mm-hmm. always a challenge for anybody in a public facing yep. uh, social media role. Um, I will say that the vast majority of my community is extraordinarily nice. Mm-hmm. And as somebody who works in the political space, the amount of hate that I get is minuscule compared to what a lot of the other yeah. um, people would get. People that are attracted to being nasty in the comments section, they're not going to stick around my account because that's not, that's not how we roll around here. So those people just move on and, uh, they, you know, they're, they're not going to get that, whatever it is they get out of being hideous in the comments. They're not going to get that, uh, hanging around my account. So I'm fortunate in that it's not, that's not like an overwhelming every day, all day kind of occurrence. What is interesting though, is how some public figures act behind the scenes. Mm. The messages I get from some people who are well-known, who are not at all nice in private. Mm. (laughs) Um, That has been a little bit eye-opening to me sometimes, but Mm. you know, it's a good lesson to learn. It's a good lesson for me to learn. It's not something that I, it doesn't keep me up at night. It's just like, huh, all right. Well, I guess I figured that one out. Yeah. Um, and then the other challenging thing is having, I have teenage children yeah. and they're on social media and I don't do anything on social media that I am ashamed of. I don't do anything that I would not want them to see. I'm very cognizant of the fact that my children are watching me mm. and they're not too, I cannot shield them from it. And I want to leave my children a legacy that they can be proud of and that they, they can someday at my funeral be like, mom did all these amazing things. And she really, you know, like she dedicated her life to working hard to change things for the positive. But one of the challenging things is navigating, um, having your children be online and then other people wanting things from your children, Mm. you know, where they want to talk about me to my children. They want to get information from my children about me. They want to, you know, that kind of thing is such a new experience for the developed world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. And I, yeah, I think you've, you've done such a beautiful job of creating a community where it's like the nonsense is just not tolerated. We're just not going (laughs) to tolerate the buffoonery, the shenanigans. There's just going to be none of it. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it is. I mean, I, you know, I have also like lived my life, a lot of my life uh, on the internet. And so I, I'm also like, I'm an Enneagram too. And like my worst Mm. fear in the world is like somebody not liking me. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. like, you know, so when I get a like mean or hateful message, I'm just like, this is the worst day ever. And I have to have my, (laughs) my husband be like, okay, well, what about all the other really positive messages that you have received today? Mm -hmm. And not this Mm -hmm. one really not kind person. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think the other thing too, that you have to get to a point is realizing that like 99.99% of the time, even probably arguably 100 is like the mean comment or the mean DM is almost never about you. Like it's, mm-hmm. it, it is so much more reflective of something that that person is struggling with. And that is an outlet that they feel like is going to make them feel better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're going to get like a momentary amount of stress relief. Yep. That's really what it's about is like, it's kind of, you know, when you're feeling stressed and you're like, you're drawn to eat a cookie mm. and you feel like this, uh, you know what I just need is just like, Ugh, I'm just going to eat some cookies. And then you, you maybe feel better for a few minutes. Obviously the cookies don't fix it permanently, but makes right. you feel better for like a short moment. That's essentially what it's like. And they yeah. may not even know that they, that is what they are doing. Oh, they yeah. may not consciously know that that's what they're getting out of it. Yeah. Just like you may not be consciously aware that the, that you're using cookies yeah. for stress relief. You may yeah. not be consciously aware of that, but yet that is what they're doing. They are getting something out of it. Yeah. Um, and it's about what they're getting out of yeah. it. It doesn't have to do with 
you. It has to do with what they get out of totally the perception of I'm going to hurt you. And that momentarily relieves a tiny bit of my own pain. I'm going to take a break from my chat with Sharon to thank our partner of the show. And that is Demain. And I love Demain so much that I actually have the founder, Julie Billingham, here with me to share a little bit more about why this ethical brand is so incredible. Julie? Oh, Molly, thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to partner with you and to be a part of this community that you've built. I mean, Demain is a sustainable footwear and fashion brand, and we have the steadfast commitment to creating authentic fashion and fashion accessories. And it's really our great honor to produce things that matter. And our Haitian craftsmen and women really take such pride in each handbag we make, each pair of sandals that we assemble. And um, we just love what we do so much. And we are, we're proud to craft, you know? And, and so thanks for having us. Absolutely. And for those of you who want to check out Demet, you can do so online at D-E-U-X-M-A-I-N-S dot com. And you can use the promo code Molly and that will get you 15% off your purchase. Now back to my chat with Sharon. Thank you for saying what you said about leaving a digital legacy. And I think so often we forget that and the legacy that we are leaving behind and our parents and our grandparents' generations, like the legacies that they left behind were in journals and (laughs) printed Mm -hmm. photographs. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. um, many of that stuff can get lost. And the reality is, is our digital legacies, like these things are staying around forever. And, Mm -hmm. um, and that you are so cognizant of your children watching and, you know, my children are younger and mine are almost eight and uh, five. And so they're obviously not on social media and won't be for a very long time, um, <laughs> a very long time. And I just am like, just let you kids know you ain't getting a phone for a long. Don't ask me. Don't ask me because the, the answer is no. The answer is no. And it's not going to change. So there's no amount of like begging or whatever. Uh, it's not going to change. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm cognizant of that because they know that like mommy has a podcast and mommy does stuff online mm-hmm. and like I always think about the fact like anything I do online, I'm like, would I be okay with my five-year-old or eight-year-old seeing this? Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that seems like an overly simplistic or like or ridiculous thing to ask yourself, but I don't I don't think it is. And um, someday they will. They will. The internet, the internet actually is forever. It's forever. And even if you delete something, there's it, it is still easy to dig it up. It's not even hard to dig it up. Yeah. And the idea that your five year old will someday have a phone because mm-hmm. they will, mm-hmm. and they one hundred percent will read every word you have written. Yeah. Because that my, my kids, I used to have a, I used to have a blog a long time ago. They have combed through every word of that blog that I have not posted on in like eight years. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, it's fascinating to them to be like, when I was little mom was doing this. Yeah. They absolutely will read every word that you have written. Yeah. And it's it's not saying that every that you need to be Pollyanna and yeah. never step one toe out of line, or yeah. I'm not saying you can never make a mistake or you yeah. can never talk about something difficult, but it's just something to be aware of. And also you have to operate on the assumption that all the kids at their school mm. will also read it yeah. and want to talk to them about it. Yeah. Oh, that's such a great point. And you know, <laughs> You saying that made me think of something. So my mo- my mom died when I was a senior in high school. Um, she was a Vietnam vet, and uh, you know one of the only eleven thousand women that served in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I have been so grateful for over the years is so she uh, wrote a book, and it was the first. Uh, nonfiction account of a woman's perspective of war. It was a New York Times mm-hmm. bestseller. And my mom left this just incredible legacy of uh, her fight for women veterans. And, you know, I so I can comb through, uh, you know, I can read her book and hear and hear mm-hmm. her thoughts and I can comb through, you know, articles about her. And, uh, and it's one of those things that I'm, I don't take for granted. Um, but at the same time, like I didn't read her book until after she died. Cause she wouldn't let me. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I regret not having read it before mm-hmm. she died. I mean, it's not something that I could have controlled or whatever, but I, I think about that. And I think about how that legacy is like, that's so much of like, all I have left of her are mm-hmm. her slides and pictures from Vietnam and her book and articles about her and asking, you know, other people who knew her questions um, that I just didn't think to ask when I was a teenager. Cause like, mm-hmm. when I was a teenager. And right. I, you're very self-focused. Children are developmentally very, very self-focused. That's just how they are. Yeah. And they're not at that time thinking someday my mom will pass away. Right. And I should glean all the information I can now. They're not think they don't have that, you know, forethought. Yeah. Yeah. My dad was a Vietnam vet as well. Oh, and wow. my dad died from it was he died from combat-related illness a number of years ago. He had he had Parkinson's disease from Agent Orange exposure. My mom died because and, of Agent Orange. Yes. Wow. And it took my dad a long time to fight for, uh, to get, um, Mm -hmm. benefits. I know exactly. My mom never got them. Yeah. Yeah. She was sick for 11 years. It took, you know, like the, the VA did not recognize neurological illnesses as a, um, as a byproduct of agent orange. And it wasn't until he was you know, multiple years into his illness that they finally were like, yeah, okay, we'll pay for these medications Mm -hmm. and you know, that kind of stuff. So yeah, my dad didn't like to talk about Vietnam. And so he was, he was like a lot of vets, Vietnam vets did not. And so your mom's account has to be extra special because what people experienced there was often so horrific that they, and they had so much PTSD that they were unable to even talk about it without re-experiencing that trauma. Yeah. So they just stuffed it down. Yeah. She, but, she wrote it over 12 years after she came back and this was in the early eighties when it came out and she received. So there was an entire organization that was created to discredit her. Oh um, my goodness. Like she went on 60 minutes and was like arguing with all these people um, to, because people were like, well, th- what you said in the book didn't happen because they, mm-hmm. they were in tr- like denial Mm-hmm. of of so many things and um and it wasn't till like a lot of people didn't until after she died where they came back and apologized mm-hmm. and we're just like mm-hmm. I'm so sorry and um thank you by the way for saying I just the fact that uh it's a weird community of people to be in who've lost a parent to an agent orange related illness and it's like <laughs> so the fact that that I did not know that about you and so just like uh is a special connection. So thank you for sharing that. And what I'm not I'm not going to called? I'm not going to cry. Um <laughs> what is your um, mom what is your mom's book? Called? It's called Home Before Morning and her name was uh Linda Vandevanner. Um that was her maiden or her maiden name was Vandevanner. Buckley was her married name, Linda Vandevanner mm-hmm. Buckley. Um there are we are if you've ever heard of the show China Beach, yeah. uh that was there's like rumors that that show was based off of her book and like Dana Delaney's character was like mm. based off of her. But uh, yeah, it's such a, when did your dad serve? He was there in the very like 19, let me, let me get the years right. 1968. Yeah. 1968 is when he went there and he did two tours in Vietnam. He was 17 when he enlisted Mm. and like his parents had to, he enlisted in the Marine Corps. Um, where they, you know, his parents had to sign that for him to yeah. be able to do that. Um, and he knew that his number was going to come up. Yeah. He knew that it was because he was not going to be, uh, you know, was not going to go to a four-year university, et cetera. Yeah. He knew he was going to get called up. Mm. So he was like, oh, let me just, let me just go now. Let's yeah. just go now and get it over with. Yeah. Um, and the Marine Corps really saw some real bad stuff. Yeah. And you know, they were asked to do some real bad stuff. Yeah. And he had horrible nightmares nearly every night of his life yep. for the rest of his life. Yeah. Uh, my mom talked about how his sleep was so disturbed that she would wake up multiple times a mm-hmm. night um with him you know, talking, being angry, uh, jumping out of bed, thinking, you know, like that reaction, like somebody's trying to get me. Several times he was convinced that my mom was trying to get him in the middle of the night and then he wouldn't remember it the next day. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, you know, we could talk for a long time about yeah. that, but he absolutely was affected by PTSD for the remainder of his life. Wow. I mean, I, yeah, I just, uh, I watched my mom struggle with that until the day she died. Um, I mean, I remember going to a, uh, this is the last thing I say, I'm sorry. I'm so, we, we went off on a complete tangent. Um, <laughs> no, that's uh, fine. but I, uh, you know, I remember being 15 and going to an NSYNC concert and (laughs) 
my mom took my five friends and I and my mom, this was, you know, closer to the end of her life. And, and she had been sick for a very long time and was uh, physically not well. Um, mm-hmm. But she was bound and determined to take me and my friends to this NSYNC mm-hmm. concert. And she, <laughs> I remember we went to like Deb. Do you remember that store oh, Deb yeah. with like yes. the glitter, glitter mm-hmm. shirts? Yeah. Yep. So my mom bought this whole outfit from Deb. And it was like <laughs> leather snakeskin pants <laughs> and like a glitter shirt. And I just remember being so mortified. Um, but she was like, you know, come on. I wanted to like be one of the kids. Um, and so we went to this NSYNC concert. And if you remember anything about 90s boy bands, there's a lot of uh, pyrotechnics in mm-hmm. their concerts. Mm-hmm. And uh, the opening song, there were fireworks and bat- loud booms. And the next thing I know um, is she was out. Uh, she had made her way out into like the concourse and was like in the fetal position, didn't know where she was, didn't know who I was. And mm. I spent half the concert trying to like figure out how to at 15 years old to snap her back to reality. Um, mm. and I, I didn't know how to do it. But yeah, so uh, anyway, I'm so sorry that we went on a total tangent. Uh, but I really <laughs> okay. um, thank you for sharing that. Um, and uh, that was just that was really uh, special to connect with you in that way. So thank you um, for that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. I'm going to, we're going to refocus here. Um, One of the (laughs) things that I have so admired about you is the way that you have used this rapid growth and this notoriety to impact the world um, and how you have raised literally millions, millions, millions of dollars, (laughs) uh, my best Dr. Evil, millions of dollars for eliminating medical debt and uh, helping just people in need. And can you talk about that and what, what that has meant for you? Mm. It's one of those things that, um, as an Enneagram three, I definitely have the ability to, I don't want to say disassociate from my emotions, but just to be the option to just be like, I don't need to feel upset about that. And I know that that's weird for other, like if you're a four, you're like, but how, (laughs) you know, like, how does one do that? I want that. But there, if there is one thing that it is impossible for me to be like, I don't need to feel feelings about that. It is um, giving away money. Mm. That has been truly since I was a child. Um, that has been my dream is to be Oprah or Ellen or somebody with enough money that I could just give away. Um, I could just meet somebody's needs without a second thought, mm. without feeling like you know, without even worrying about it. Just be like you need to pay off your house. Here's a hundred thousand dollars, you know, just to be able to do that has always been my dream. Yeah. So this is a, this is a way that I have been able to do that, even though I'm not Oprah and I'm not a self-made billionaire. It has just, it is incredibly moving for me. It makes me cry every time. Yeah. Um, Crying on the internet, which I know your teenagers love. Yes. I just, I, <laughs> who knew that crying on the internet would be something I would even consider doing prior, <laughs> prior to this, there's absolutely no way I would have cried on the internet at all. Um, but it's just one of those things that I can't, I just can't like the yeah. tears cannot be suppressed. Yeah. I just, I just love it. And I wish that I wish I could do, um, it all day, every day. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I just really, I love it so much. And the idea that Giving, um, of course, changes the life of the recipient, but giving is also incredibly meaningful and revolutionary to the giver. Yeah, and it changes changes the giver. It does, and the experience of being a giver is just it's it's life altering when you get to experience what it's like to change somebody else's life. Mm. So I love to, not just to help other people, but also to give people the opportunity to be a giver. Yeah. And to be a part of something. And I think that that, you know, the one campaign that I think stands out in everybody's mind is when the, you did uh, the campaign for RIP medical debt. And what an incredible, uh, I think, not only how powerful it was to eliminate, I, I, what was the final number? It was like a hundred plus million. $147 million. $147 million in medical debt eliminated, uh, which is just unreal. Unreal. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, oh man, that was so awesome. Um, but <laughs> right, I, I think the other thing too is the way that people felt like they were a part of it. Like I remember I was like, I'm donating, let's do this. Like, you know what I mean? Like it was just, we all just felt like we were a part of something and it was like, okay, we smashed that goal. Let's smash the next goal. And it's just... <laughs> 
How do you think, what do you think it was about that that got your community so like ready and rearing Mm. to go? Mm. I think there's a few things. One is that it is something that if you have not been personally touched by it, you absolutely have multiple friends or family members that have been touched by that. Um, Medical debt is something that is so universal in the United States. We all know somebody who has experienced that. And aside from the actual physical medical bills, if you have a sick child who has cancer, for example, and you know the cancer treatment is very expensive, aside from that, you are taking an incredible amount of time off of work. Mm-hmm. Your income is dramatically impacted. And most Americans don't have the ability to just be like, I'm going to take six months off of work. And in some cases, um, you know, children's healthcare is very, um, it's not available everywhere. You can't get children's cancer treatment everywhere. A lot of times you have to travel and then you have to stay somewhere and then you have to pay to stay somewhere. The idea that um, people are bankrupted by medical debt through no fault of their own, no parent would choose for their child to get cancer. No parent would you know, choose for something horrible to happen to their child or their spouse or whatever. Through no fault of your own, you're experiencing this tragedy. And as if it's not tragedy enough that your child is sick, now you're saddled with all of these other debts and uh, financial burdens. So I think it's something that everybody can relate to. And the idea that your, your $5 moves the needle. Yeah. And like having that little, um, you know, thermometer gauge, um, where people could refresh the screen and watch the number go up. That's exciting. It is. It's, it is. It's exciting to be like, oh my goodness. Yeah. We are almost ready to hit, you know, $500,000 donated. Like I can't, that's so exciting. Like we got to get there. And it, it encouraged people to be like, I'm going to give five more dollars because I want to, like, I want to watch yeah. the needle move up, you know? Um, so there were m- multiple people who said, I wanted to see us hit that goal. And so I, I donated a second time. So it is a little bit like you're, you're all pulling a heavy, heavy object together and everyone picks up a chunk of the rope and starts walking and we can all turn around and look back and be like, Oh, it's moving. Oh my gosh, we're doing it. We're doing it. It's part of this. uh, You feel part of a community, even though your own, your own contributions to pulling the rope are probably small. All of you working together are doing something big. So I think that's part of it too, that together we can do something incredibly impactful. You do not personally need to be Oprah to change somebody's life. Mm -hmm. And all of that kind of coalescing made it such a an impactful opportunity for people to become givers. Yes. Oh, yeah. You know, you kind of you talking about that reminded me of like whenever I would go to camp in high school and do like a ropes course. You know, <laughs> and you're, you're like you're faced with you know you're with your team and you're faced with this like impossible thing, but then it's like oh the lesson in the end is that if you all work together you can do it. And so you have all these thirteen year olds being like yeah. Um, yeah, that's total is definitely what it reminded me of. Um, yeah. And it just, and I think too, the, the thing that was so impactful as well is how the majority of these donations were not large. Like there were certain, Mm -hmm. certainly some larger donations, but in general, like you had one dollar, two dollar, five dollar donations. I think you even said there were a couple that donated like 50 cents, 50 cents. And people would, you know, Venmo me their 50 cent balance and, and would leave a message of, I wish it could be more. Mm. And to me, somebody giving all they have of 50 cents, that is just as impactful to them. And to me, as somebody who has the means to write a $5,000 check for something, the vast majority of those gifts are, are small. They're $10. They're um, something that ultimately most, you know, middle-class Americans will not you know, feel a big hit in their budget to, to give away $10. Um, but to some people it absolutely Mm. is, it is sacrificial giving Mm. and just making that small sacrifice of this is all I have. And I wish it could be more, but it's what I have. And maybe someday it will be more Yeah. to me. I just, it's hard to overstate how much a 50 cent donation means to me when that is all somebody truly can afford. Yeah. 
No, I mean, I, I'm a person of faith. And so coming from, um, you know, my faith perspective is just like, it reminds me of, you know, there's multiple instances in the Bible where we see, uh, you know, there's a, the woman with the alabaster jar who breaks this alabaster jar, uh, and, and uses it to wipe it on Jesus's feet. And the disciples are just horrified that they, she would use this alabaster jar of oil that is, or of perfume that is a, a year's wages. Um, and that they're just like, and this is literally everything that she has. She's just giving all of it away and just the sacrifice and, and the importance of that that picture and how often, you know, sometimes we can glorify um, or idealize, you know, these people who write these massive checks and we can discount the people who are maybe giving everything that they physically can. Um, but it's mm-hmm. not this like grand, amazing number, but just the importance of that. And I love how you touched on too, like the impact that that has on the giver. It is mm-hmm. so impactful. Um, and I mean, there's like scientific research that is mm-hmm. done on people who volunteer more and serve more, are happier, have like lower uh, bouts of depression, have stronger relationships. I mean, it's it's a ripple effect. And um, so I just want to say thank you for using your platform and creating uh, this, this community online who are a force for good and uh, mm-hmm. just a bright light on the internet. And the internet can be a dark place, um, <laughs> but also uh, just such a bright, bright light. And you recently launched a podcast. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Welcome Thank to you. the world of podcasting. It's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank um, you. So talk to us about your podcast. What is uh, what is it? And, uh, you know, what are your what's your, what's your plans and your visions for it? Well, it's the Sharon Says So podcast. You can get it wherever podcasts are. And it's like and the number one podcast in the world. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally fine. It's totally fine. And Cash, casual. NBD. Yep. Um, and there's a mixture of types of episodes. And this is something that on my Instagram account as well, it's not going to be just current events 24 seven, you know, yeah. like we mix in other things. Cause that is how the human mind works. Right. You don't, when you have a friend, you talk about a variety of topics. Yeah. You don't just talk about, you know, Cheetos for the rest <laughs> of your life and nothing else. Sometimes you also talk about Oreos. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, I was actually about to suggest Oreos. So Um, so I love being able to mix it up a little bit. So some of my episodes are interviews with people like many podcasts have, and then some are where I have invited a guest onto my podcast so that I can share a story with them and we can talk about the story. And the stories are generally things they're what I like to call brain tangle moments where you are like, what? Yeah. I had no idea that happened or that was a thing. And I am telling, starting out this series by telling one story about each state in the United States. Love it. This, this, this week coming up, we're going to be talking about California and Colorado. We're going through them alphabetically and the stories are met. Some of them are very touching. Some of them are funny. Some of them are inspirational. Some of them are, you know, stories from history that have kind of been lost to history, but that impact us in ways maybe we don't realize. So there's a variety and I really wanted to have the podcast that I would want to listen to. Yeah. You know, so that's it. Well, I look forward to uh, whichever story you do about North Carolina. I'm very, (laughs) I'm very eager to know what you do. What do you do about North Carolina? Um, That's going to be awesome. Well, I am so excited uh, for your podcast. Uh, I have already loved listening to the episodes that you've released so Mm. far. And uh, it's really well done. Um, My husband, who is also just somebody who he loves like history stories and uh, untold history stories yes. or lesser known history stories. So he has also enjoyed listening to your podcast as well. Thank you. Um, so it's it's incredible. For the listeners, I will have all of that information in the show notes on how you can download and listen to the Sharon Says So podcast and mm-hmm. hear all these incredible stories. Well, Sharon, uh, before we go, now is the portion of the show where I just ask some fun, lighthearted, get to know you yeah. questions. Let's and uh, this is my listeners' favorite part of the show. And I, while I ask some of the same questions of uh, my guests, I tailored a couple of these to you just because I thought it would be fun uh, to do something a little different. So uh, question number one, who is your favorite not living president and why not for political reasons? (laughs) Mm, Not for political reasons. That is a great, that's a great question. Like, who do you like just as a, just like was an interesting human as a president? Mm, I mean, 
I disagree with some of the things that he did for sure, but James Madison, always fascinating. He's the father of the constitution. Yeah. And so he, he's always interesting to me because I am a constitution aficionado, but really the person that has like a little soft spot in my heart is, is John Adams. Yeah. He was, he was, um, so intelligent and he was such a great political philosopher, Yeah, but, but also did not go about things in the right way and yeah. made a lot of enemies because he always thought he was the smartest man in the room. And he was always, you know, like that's, you know, he, he did not, his interpersonal communication skills were lacking, Yeah, but he was a man of principle. And I have to admire that about him, mm. that he did not waver from his principles, even though they were not politically expedient. Mm. And even though it lost him, you know, the presidency, yeah. he did not waver from his principles. And I admire that in a human. Oh, I love that. That's a great answer. Mm. Um, and I there, I want to bring up a quick quick point that you shared actually in the first episode of your podcast, um, where you were talking about uh, the story of uh, Vice President King, who was mm-hmm. vice president for not very long. Um, no. And it, we, you had a great conversation at the end with your guests where you were talking about how we can live in this tension of of appreciating things that important figures in our history did while also living in the tension of that they made some really poor decisions as Mm -hmm. well and did some things that were considered reprehensible then or or not necessarily considered reprehensible then, but are considered reprehensible now. And so um, I just admire you about, I admire that about you is just your ability to kind of talk about these things and say like, hey, we can really, we can say like, oh, this person did a lot of really good things and also a lot of really bad things. Right. James Madison, father of the Constitution. You know, America is what it is in large part because of his contributions. And also he enslaved people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Also, it's not it's not an or it's an and and Mm -hmm. he did this and he also enslaved people. Yeah. And we can't we absolutely should not ignore that. We cannot be like, well, that doesn't matter because that was, you know, that's how it was. Then it wasn't that way to John Adams. John Adams thought that was reprehensible. And so did a lot of people. So it it wasn't that nobody at the time thought that enslaving people was acceptable or, you know, was a a lot of people felt it was unacceptable. Uh, Obviously he did not, but, but yet we also cannot just pretend that James Madison's contributions to the United States were zero. Yeah. Because they weren't zero. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yep. there's, it is a challenging tension to live in for yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Favorite whale, go. <laughs> you know, I do have a soft spot for humpbacks. I really do. They're just, just so awful. friendly and charming and curious and non predatory. And you just kind of want to um, snuggle them. You just kind of want to give them a snuggle because they're so cute. <laughs> and, you know, especially those babies who are constantly like, this is a boat, you know, they're, they're just, they're so curious and they haven't learned that about boat propellers yet. And, um, I just, I just love those humpbacks so much. Oh my gosh. I love it. Okay. <laughs> if you were transported 400 years into the past with no clothes or anything else, how would you prove that you were from the future? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, with no clothes, no I was clothes. Naked? Yeah, you're naked. I mean, you'll you, you, you'll clothe yourself with something you find. <laughs> <laughs> I'm naked in the past, <laughs> and I need to prove that I'm from the future. Yes. And I will do that while naked. <laughs> I realize this is a ridiculous and absurd question, and this is why I love asking it. <laughs> well, um, I mean, if you take a piece of advice from Outlander, oh, Outlander? I haven't, but I everybody tells me that I should. So where you, you know, she she travels back in time hundreds of years and has to try to prove to people that she's from the future. Okay, so you um, have some a little experience with this. She she predicts historic events and it's like, Oh my goodness. Um, this is the battle of Gettysburg and this side is going to win. I mean, it's not really the battle of Gettysburg, but she, she predicts with accuracy what will happen. And people are like, she's a witch Mm. and she's not a witch, but, but that's how she convinces people that she is from the future. Okay. So you would basically just do that. And you have a lot of knowledge 
about, you know, historic events. So you'd, right. you'd probably be pretty poised to, <laughs> to prove yourself. Yeah, I've, I've heard that I would like Outlander, especially because I, it like takes place some in North Carolina. So some you know. of it does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The so. later seasons do. Well, there you go. And during the time of, you know, during the colonial period and prior to the revolution. And then she convinces people in North Carolina um, that she is from the future because she correctly discusses historic events from the Revolutionary War. Well, there you go. I love it. Okay. What is bringing you so much joy right now? Animal videos on Instagram <laughs> always bring me joy. Yes. Um, when there are yeah, videos where you're like, that is a dog that is doing something so cute. Um, I always just love that little mental break of, of um, some kind of animal video. TikTok brings me a lot of joy. The it deep, really the deep fake of TikTok. the uh, the president's singing songs. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I learned so many interesting things on TikTok. I, you know, TikTok has learned my algorithm very well, <laughs> very well, and it feeds me the information that I want. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Okay, um, and then my last question is a question I ask all my guests, and that is, Sharon, what does it mean to you to run a business with purpose? Mm, that is a great question. I, to me, it means um, always being aligned with your values and knowing that even if something is, you know, a great business decision, it's not even something that should be a consideration if it doesn't align with your higher values. Mm. So to me, it's, it's that North guiding North star and not, not charting a course that moves you away from that. Mm. So good. Uh, Sharon, thank you for being here. Uh, where can people best connect with you online? If they're interested in taking your workshops and things like that, where can they do that? So my website is SharonMcMahon.com. And then my Instagram account is at Sharon Says So. Thank you so much for being here. This has been a true joy. I could ask you 700 more questions. So I'm just going to have to have you back on at some point. That's right. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Friend, I would love to know what you loved about this episode or something that you learned. Find me on social media. I'm at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And don't forget to use that hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast when you're sharing the show with a friend. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. If you are a first time listener of the show, welcome. Be sure to check out the archives for past shows featuring so many incredible entrepreneurs, business owners, community leaders who are changing the world. If you are a regular listener of the show, Thank you. Thank you for your support. Thank you for tuning in week in and week out. Be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, Overcast, Stitcher, basically wherever you get your podcasts. Click that subscribe or follow button. To click that button means you will never miss a new episode of the show. And while you're there, would you take a moment to just leave a review? Would you take a moment to maybe share one of your favorite episodes with a friend? Leaving a review, sharing the show with a friend, It is totally free for you. And it is the biggest help for me in the entire world. You have no idea how much I appreciate it. It just also helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is impacting you. As always, this show is produced by the incredible team at Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening. Now go do something good with purpose on purpose.